morning, everyone. Wow, it was so good to see everyone singing along uh, this morning and worshiping our Lord. What I did observe is many of you weren't looking at the screen on the second song. You have this memorized, it's in your heart, um, maybe you grew up with the hymns and things of that nature, but it was so awesome to look across and you were just worshiping and you were just, didn't need no screens at all. It was awesome to see. Great is his faithfulness, right? You notice the one uh, stanza or verse or whatever music people call it, it was three times in a row. I think we could just sing that verse over and over and over and over, couldn't we? Oh, man. I just want to welcome you. My name is John, of course, and uh, welcome everybody that's going to be online later as well, as well as you guys here in person. Uh, so good to see you finally coming out of the warm weather and into a warm building. <laughs> oh, you guys drove me nuts this summer with all your camping and summer activities. I couldn't keep track of you all summer. But it's good to see you here and uh, just... I love Sundays, uh, mostly because I just get to see you guys and we get to hang out and kind of talk about what the Lord has done and how good he is and how faithful he is. And so I'm kind of like, um, kind of charged this morning, uh, ready to talk about the, the glory of the Lord. Um, we um, are in this series that is talking about church community. And today's the last day of that series. Um, but we want to be a church community that glorifies God. And it's pretty interesting that when we talk through that, I bet you every true Christian really desires to glorify God. I really believe that. The uh, Spirit of God lives inside of us, and we want to bring glory to our Lord. But um, this isn't always a thing that's easily understood, what we can. So this or how we glorify God. So we're going to look at that a little bit this morning. We're going to kind of talk about what it means to glorify God and what it means to bring glory to Him. Um, we'll start in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 today. Uh, just want to make that offer of Bibles to everyone out in our coffee cafe. We have a free Bible if you don't have one. We always want to make sure that I know there's a lot of technology out there today, and you can look it up on your phones and all those things, but if you want a real down-to-earth, good old page-turning Bible, we have one for you, and it's uh, free of charge, no questions asked kind of thing. So feel free to swing by and grab one of those if you did so desire. So the, kind of the thought of the morning is going to be this, out of 1 Corinthians. It says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Um, let's, let's pray before we get into this thing this morning. Lord, thank you. Thank you for being so glorious. As we explore that today, may you be in the midst of um, my speech. May it uh, not be my words today, Lord, but yours. May people hear from you. Uh, we're going to use a lot of your word this morning, Lord, and I just pray that that's what speaks. Um, we just desire, Lord, to bring glory to your name, bring glory to who you are. Help us do that today in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you guys are continuing to pray for Israel. I know we've been talking about that in, uh, 
each week that the conflict's been going on over there. But please continue to pray that people come to know Jesus out of this whole thing. A lot of fighting, a lot of bloodshed, and a lot of turmoil, a lot of displacement, and all these things. But remember, God is in control, and he, he knows all things, and he is, he's there in the midst of all of that. And so remember, these are God's people. Not that we aren't God's people, but he chose to bring his son through the bloodline of the Israeli people. So they're special to him. He calls them a peculiar people. Uh, sometimes I think you all are a little peculiar as well. <laughs> but he, he, these are his people, and so we want to be praying uh, for them as well. So um, this verse I gave you is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. And they're in the, um, the middle of, uh, just say this, they're fighting over whether they should eat certain foods or not. You know, they're coming out of the, the Jewish customs and um, Paul's preaching to a Gentile world that doesn't really know these things. Um, and some of the Jewish followers and Gentile followers are kind of arguing back and forth whether they should be eating uh, like food sacrificed to idols and things of that nature. But what it's causing people to do is stumble along the way. And Paul's always uh, making sure that the gospel is being known and that it's uh, unhindered by anything. And so he's warning them, therefore, he says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so that's kind of our theme this morning, that you and I, no matter if we're eating or drinking or thinking or uh, speaking or whatever it is we do, that we're doing it for the glory of God. But what is glory? I think we all have an idea what that might be. But the actual word glory we see a lot in the Old Testament, and it gets carried into the New Testament. But the, the secular or worldview of that back in the, New, or in the Old Testament was that of weight. It pri primarily means a weight referring to wealth or power that is acknowledged by other people. Um, so in a sense, it implies honor and fame uh, coming from like a social status. It includes greatness and wealth and power um, that is, of course, acknowledged by others. Old Testament greats would be like Cyrus the Great. We've heard of him, right? Darius the Great, Xerxes the Great, Herod the Great, all our mentioned in the Bible, but they were mostly, for the most part, worldly leaders that carried this title of great. So, so much of uh, the earthly, worldly glory was spent on them. Um, secular usage in the New Testament are people like Constantine the Great or Alexander the Great. These are kind of the greats in the world at that time. They were given all honor and fame which is glory. Uh, we do it here in America still. Uh, we talk about our founding fathers sometimes as being great. People like uh, George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, and Thomas Jefferson, we'd all like give glory to because of their great achievements in our early history, right? So we kind of got an idea of secular um, greatness. In other words, the way the world um, says it or carries out glory. 
Um, even more recent than our founding fathers, we have like Hollywood actors, rock stars, and sports celebrities that we give glory to. You know, there's something that, that some, for some reason, some talent or something that they do, uh, we give great weight to. And so then we give them glory. So now when we, we try to translate this glory into the Bible, it really isn't much different in a, in a sense of what it is. In other words, when we talk about giving God the glory, we're attributing, attributing great weight to him uh, or substantial um, power, um, substantial honor, wealth, you know, these types of things. That's what we're do, attributing to the Lord. So it's a very similar thing. So it made it natural for the Old Testament writers to bring in the word glory. It's, in other words, I guess my point in all this, it wasn't just a God thing. We typically think of it as only that, that we bring glory to God. Now, uh, we're going to work our way through this this morning, but we're going to look at he is worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise that we can give him. But as we um, explore this thing, we know that, like, I know a certain thing about a sports guy that would maybe um, have me give him praise or glory, right? So there's something that we know about each of the people uh, that we give glory to. But what about God who we cannot see? Um, how do you rationalize that in our heads? Like I can see a sports star or a rock star or somebody we would do this to. I can see what I like about them. And in turn, I would give them glory or give them honor and praise. Well, Moses asked God one time, he said uh, in Exodus 33, he says, Please show me your glory. But God quickly come back and said in a couple verses down, he says, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. Uh, this one, really what this means is that if God was to reveal his entire glory to man, that we'd probably vaporize in some kind of a sense, you know. So what we know of God is really in a veiled glory. In other words, we, even what God has revealed of himself to us is even just a small fraction of who he really is. So if we were to get everything, all of God's glory all at once, we couldn't handle it. That's basically what God is telling Moses. But yet he does reveal his glory to us. And so... Um, 1 Timothy 6.16 says, Who alone has immortality, speaking of God, dwelling in an unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to, him, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Um, we can only glorify God by what we know of him. Does that make sense? So, we can only glorify God by what he's revealed to us. And other than that, because we can't truly see him, God is spirit, right? So this is the glory 
of God. Glory is the making known of who he is or his attributes. That's what the glory of God. When God exhibits glory, it is him making himself known to mankind. Pretty cool. So there are three main ways that we're going to talk about this morning and how he does that. First, he does this, probably the way that we're most familiar with, is through the scriptures. So I'm going to rattle off a bunch of scripture this morning. We're going to just let God do a bunch of speaking uh, is the goal. Uh, But he reveals himself in the scripture, and we can see who he is through the words he says and what he reveals to us. So Job recites this. He says, can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. What we learn about God is he is infinite. He is self-existing. He is without origin. He has no beginning. And he has no end. What's interesting about this, it is probably the hardest thing for you and I to get a handle on about God. Of all the things that he has revealed to us, and we're going to talk about some of the other ones, this idea that he has been before our time has even began, he's always existed, our little small brains and uh, who we are, we always got to think, well, who made God? You know, he, there's no way that he could just always exist. But that's the thing that we struggle the most. Even Christians understand with this because we are finite or limited, but yet God is infinite. And again, if he was to reveal all of his glory to us in, in one shot, this is where I believe that our kind of like our brains would totally explode, right? Um, Tozer uh, says this. He says, To admit that there is one who lies beyond us, who exists outside of all of our categories, who will not be dismissed with a name, who will not appear before the bar of our reason nor submit to our curious inquiries, This requires a great deal of humility, more than most of us even possess. So we save face by thinking God down to our level, or at least down to where we can manage him. It was very interesting this week. Um, I, I love talking to my neighbors and walking around the neighborhood and doing that kind of thing, and... I do it with a reason, of course. Sooner or later, our conversation's going to, to the Lord, right? And so I was talking to my neighbor down the two houses down the other day, standing in his driveway, and sure enough, Lord gave me that open door, you know, so I started talking to him about stuff. And it was really fun. We just started talking about the Lord, and the, we talked about the, the stars and all of creation, and we even talked about his body. He's an older gentleman. He was talking about his body failing, and, but yet I said, you know, how, isn't it amazing how our heart still beats, our eyes still see, our ears can hear, and okay, there's just no way there can't not be a God. And he said to me, he said, it's hard to believe that one guy is in charge of all this. <laughs> <laughs> 
It was so honest. And it was good. Isn't it hard to believe that God is God? That he is infinite and he's, he's always been and he, he'll always be and everything in between. He's not limited by the things that we are limited. But this is the thing that Tozer said. He says that it takes so much humility in us to get to that level to see ourselves rightly before a, a holy God, right? And it's in, but us as humans, sinful fallen beings, we knock God down a few pegs. Now he can't be that great. You know, there's no way he could be that glorious. And so we bring him down to our level where we can manage him. Um, God is immutable or he never changes. He reveals this in Malachi uh, chapter 3. He says, for I am the Lord I do not change. Because God never changes, that makes him faithful and steadfast. We sang about his faithfulness this morning. And steadfastness, in other words, he, he can always be counted on. He's, he never changes. He will not say one thing and then do the other. He is faithful. Whatever he says, you can count on. God loves us, and that does not change, even if we don't love him. Thinking about that one for a moment. Maybe you've had times in your life where you know God loves you, but you don't feel like loving him. Doesn't change. He doesn't change. We change. He does not. God is self-sufficient, or he has no needs. John 5, 26 says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. God relies on no one to exist. God does not need a relationship with mankind, but yet for his good pleasure, he desires to do, to do so. So if you're sitting here today that you are God's gift to mankind, you are wrong. <laughs> he doesn't need you. He doesn't need your gift. But it's really awesome in the sense, even though he doesn't need us to succeed or to, to exist in any way, he desires us, us out of his good pleasure. Luke 12 says, do not fear, and this is Jesus talking to, to his followers as a flock, as sheep. He says, do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Oh my goodness. God of all glory and all honor and all praise is willing to give sinful mankind his kingdom. Let that one settle into your uh, thinking pot this morning. God is omnipotent or he is all-powerful. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. All that exists owes its reality to God. Think about that. He didn't, it doesn't say that he, he like um, got this big pot and stirred it all up and put all these ingredients in it and then made the heavens and the earth. And He didn't say, it, the scriptures don't say that about him. He said he spoke it 
and it was done. God is all-powerful. Psalm 135 says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and in earth, in the seas, in all the deep places. God is all-powerful. There isn't anything that he cannot do. And you can see what I'm trying to do today. I'm just really drawing attention to the scriptures that say who God is. Remember, we said if we're going to bring him glory, much like maybe we would bring a glory to a rock star or a great world leader, whatever it is, we've seen things in them that we like, and then we're, they, we deem them um, valuable. And so then we give honor and glory to them. The same thing I'm hoping is coming to your mind about our God, how glorious he really is. God is omniscient, or he is all-knowing. Because he's all-knowing, God is wise. He is full of perfect wisdom. Do you know that God knows everything about everything? God knows the past. He knows the present. And he knows the future. He even knows you. Now, there's a scary thought for a Sunday morning. Psalm 139, verse 1 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my laying down and are acquainted with all my ways. God knows everything. The cool thing about this for me is he knows everything about me, how sinful I am, how bad my thoughts are some days, how evil I can be, how selfish I can be, and he still desires to have a relationship with me. Mind-blowing for me. Maybe you guys have gotten the sin thing all taken care of and you're all good, you're, you're no longer have a problem with sin, but the guy standing here today still has problems. But yet God loves me. He cares for me. He desires to have a relationship with me. God is omnipresent. He is always everywhere. Always everywhere. So he isn't just here when we come here on Sunday mornings, is he? This is just a great place that we get to gather and worship him and bring glory to him and, and hang with others that believe and encourage others that don't yet believe to come to him. But that's all this place really is. It's just a, really a building in a sense because God is everywhere, always. He's always here, even when you're not. But yet he's at your house and he's in Israel right now. And he is in the Arab nations right now. Pretty mind-blowing when you think about who God is, always everywhere. Psalm 139 continues, says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God often, when we talk about all these attributes of God, which is interesting to think through, is that, yeah, he is 
individually these things that we're talking about and many more, but they all make up who he really is. So because God is eternal, he's not bound by time. Instead, he's equally present in all times. So in other words, that's where we can talk about his infinity as well, right? Because he's always been and he always will be and he's everywhere at all times. Because God is a spirit being, he is immaterial and not bound by um, physicality, but instead is wholly present at all times. So in all places. So God is not like us. We are bound by flesh in our bodies. So we can only be one place at one time. But that is not who our God is. This is not who we bring our glory to and our honor to. He is everywhere always. God is good. He is kind and faithful and full of good will. Um, Psalm 34 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. It's unfortunate, but so many people have a view of God that he is uh, uh, an ogre or an overlord that just is waiting for us to slip up and then he'll just bring down the thunder on us and and take care of him, bring all of his wrath out on us and just waiting for us to screw up, screw up. But I like telling people that God is like lima beans. Taste and see that they are good. It's amazing and uh, I love lima beans and I guess that makes me weird. But it's amazing how many of y'all don't like lima beans. Nope, see, there we go. Let me say this, taste and see that they are good. <laughs> but that's the kind of the view that people have of God. They've never really tasted them. And that's the encouragement behind the scripture today, is that taste and see that he is good. And if we're willing to dive in and we're willing to taste, he is good. And that's what he says about himself. God is just, he is right and perfect in all he does. Deuteronomy 32 says this, he is a rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Because God is all powerful and knows everything about everything and everyone, he's the only one that can be truly just. And if you ever sat in a courtroom situation before, uh, there's a judge that sits up at front, right? And what does he do? He hears information from both sides of the case, usually, right? There's a prosecution and a defense. And he has to hear all of that information and then make a decision. And he could be wrong based on the information he is getting. But God's not that way. He knows everything about everyone, about everything. And so everything that he makes a decision on is just and is right. And we don't think that way often. We often think that that wasn't fair, God. 
but I would uh, ask you to rethink that, thinking based on what he's revealed of himself, is that he made a decision based on everything he knows, and he knows everything. God is also merciful. He is compassionate and kind. Romans 9 says, for he says to Moses, this is a um, reiteration of what Moses said back in Exodus, is I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy and have compassion on whomever I have compassion. Then it is not of him who wills nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Throughout the Bible, God's mercy is pictured as action on behalf of undeserving people. That's what mercy is. God acts towards and gives mercy on undeserving people. Mercy can be described as holding back something we really deserve. We often think about mercy in, God's, in the view of God's wrath, right? God's holding back his wrath even though we may deserve full wrath. He's holding it back. And that's what mercy is, is the holding back of something that we deserve. The Bible often pairs other divine uh, attributes with mercy like compassion, grace, faithfulness, and kindness. God is all these things in light of who we are. God is gracious. God is inclined to spare the guilty. That's his inclination. In other words, the way he leans. He leans towards giving you and me grace. Psalm 145, verse 8 says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. God's grace is his unmerited favor. In other words, you and I don't earn anything that is given to us in the form of grace. There isn't anything you can do to, to earn your grace. Uh, God's grace, he just gives it to you based on nothing that you have done, just on his, from his good pleasure. We often look at grace, um, or our salvation, I should say, uh, has been given to us by the grace of God, right? We know that salvation is nothing uh, that we can earn our way, deserve our way into, none of these things. So we use that word grace when we talk about salvation. Salva salvation is nothing that can be earned. It's a gift from God. God is holy. He is perfect and unlike us. And that's really, if you know anything about the word holy, it really just means separate. God is separate from us. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the bridge. Remember the bridge that lie between us and God? And that bridge was only um, made possible or, uh, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But God has separated himself, in a sense, from his creation. Nothing is like God. There is nothing we can compare him to. He is separate and apart. Matthew 5.48 says, Therefore you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. This is the excellence of God all in one like embodiment. In other words, the goal 
is that, yeah, one day we will be perfect or complete um, like God, but right now you and I are not that way. We are unlike him in just about every way. Yes, we are born in the, uh, the image and the likeness of God, but that is just a little blip of an image or re- reflection of who God is. Of the goodness that we have in is only a reflection of who God is. That's at best is what we can be. But he is holy and perfect. He is not like us. We can be imitators at best, but yet at the same time believers are called to be holy like God is holy. So I just went through a few of the attributes of God. There are many. There are so many. Uh, As you cruise through your Bible, you'll see them all the time. In fact, I hope this morning that somehow you are encouraged to stop and think about them when you see them. So when you see about the all-powerful being of God and all-knowing God and infinite God, that when you're reading through the Scriptures, you just stop and give Him glory for who He is and glad that He is not like us. So we know that these are through the Scriptures, but there are other ways. John Piper defines glory like this. I like this. He says, The glory of God is infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold, meaning many perfections. Of all his perfections and greatness are are beautiful as they are seen. So remember at the beginning I said that, you know, how can we see God? We can't see him. He is spirit. He is invisible to us in a way. But yet at the same time we can see him through his word. There are many of them, uh, Piper says, many attributes That's why he uses the word manifold. There are many ways that God shows us his glory. It's uh, emphasized in his greatness, his his transcendence, his splendor, his holiness. Another um, uh, man says, when we think of the glory of the Lord, the image of a brilliant light comes to our minds. In other words, how many times have you seen... uh, Uh, maybe a a screen or something when we talk about the glory of God. It's always the sun shining through a cloud, isn't it? It's because we just really can't wrap our heads around and, and really put in one picture what the glory of God is. But in our minds, we see this bright, bright light. They say that this is certainly appropriate as Scripture often describes the glory of God in terms of light because it shines brighter than anything that we experience on this earth. And that is so true, isn't it? And when we begin to dive into understanding the glory of God and seeing what he has revealed, knowing that even what he has revealed is still veiled, in other words, is still not all of who he is. I don't know about you, but is anybody excited about getting to heaven? (laughs) I can't wait to get to see. Yeah, go ahead and clap for that. Man, I, I mean, I love y'all, and I, I, just to be honest, but I'm looking for God's glory. I can't wait to get there, and hopefully most of you have committed your life to Christ and will see each other in, in the glory of God. Remember, God's glory is making known all of his attributes, and that's really what it is. But he also shows his glory in creation. Um, this is interesting. Um, David in Psalm 8 says this, O Lord, our Lord, 
How excellent is your name in all the earth. Who have set your glory above the heavens? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than angels and you crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. All we got to do is take a moment and look up on any given day and we can see the glory of God. Just look around at his creation and just, just look at all the splendor and the beauty. And uh, this time of the year, the colors and the trees are just gorgeous. And I even I give glory to the Lord when it snows, you know, when you look at only God could put snow everywhere and make it so beautiful, right? And then take a look at your body for a second and just really kind of think about how it even stands up and, and walks and think about how your eyeball works and how your ears hear and how your mouth speaks and how your heart keeps ticking and Yeesh, I don't even know how to, to think through all that. But what the scriptures are trying to point us to is that this is how God reveals glory to us. His glory is that just look at yourself and you can see the glory of God in all of his creation. We can see God in all of his glory in everything that exists is also the third thing that he reveals himself is through the glory in, of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That right there should just blow your mind. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Hebrews 1.3 says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, talking about Jesus, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. If you really want to know what God is like, look at the life of Jesus. He was God, is God. He was God in the flesh. He was here. He visited he was here for a time. So we can say, well, God is invisible and that it's hard to see him. But this morning we can see that he was made known through the scriptures, through creation, through his son. But we can also see that he has made himself or he's glorified himself through his spirit. 1 Peter 4.14 says this, if you are repro reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. God makes him 
himself known through the giving of the Holy Spirit. If you have given your life to Christ and you put your faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, the Spirit of God now lives inside of you. You can know God by having this, His Spirit inside of Him. A little bit of God lives inside of each one of us that have trusted Christ. If that's all that you knew of Him, it would be enough. God gives His glory through the Scriptures, through the creation, His Son, in the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean? This is kind of, we did all that and we're just boiling this down. We know what glory is. We know how God uh, shows us his glory. So what does it mean to glorify God? Does this mean that we can add to God's glory? Like we can give him glory? We can, I try, I kind of give the example this way. It's like trying to buy my dad in his later life a birthday present. It was like impossible. The guy had everything he ever needed, you know, there was nothing he wanted beyond that he didn't have, but that's like God in a way. We can't give him anything that he needs. He doesn't need anything we can give him, but yet we're called to give him the glory. So what is this? What does it mean to give God glory or to glorify God? To glorify God is to recognize and acknowledge his revealed glory. That's why we revealed some of it today, through the ways we did. The basic meaning of the word glory, remember, is heavy in weight. To glorify means to give weight or to give honor to God when we glorify him. Thus, to glorify God is to recognize for God, uh, God for who he really is in what he has made known. So we glorify God, firstly, when we live our lives according to uh, the known glory. So now we know something about him, and he's constantly revealing himself to us throughout our lives, through the scriptures, through creation, through his spirit, through his son. So we live praising him for his infinite beauty. We live according to his promises, knowing that he never changes. We live knowing he is in need of nothing, yet desires a relationship with us. We live in awe in his creation power. We pray understanding he is all-knowing. We live fearlessly knowing he is present everywhere. We live knowing God is good and can do no evil. We live knowing every decision he makes is a righteous one. We live knowing he is full of mercy in our time of need. We live knowing he is full of grace and distributes it freely. We live knowing he is holy and perfect and unlike us. When we live in this way, God is glorified. We are making known who he is when we live this way. So giving glory isn't always just raising up our hand and praising to him. It's one of the ways we can do it. But giving God the glory is living by what we know about him. I think that's sometimes why we don't always give God the glory that we, he deserves, is that we know very little about him and that we struggle sometimes to give, uh, like my neighbor says, I, it's hard to believe that one guy can be in charge of all this. <laughs> but you need to really study and know and look for who he really is and what he has made known. 
Secondly, we glorify God when we point others to his glory. There are many people, unfortunately, that still do not know God personally. Um, They may have heard a little bit about him, but really never looked to see who he really is. Romans 1, starting verse 18, says this, For the wrath of God is revealed. So yeah, we talk about a bunch of things that we heard this morning about who God is and how he reveals himself, but Paul in Romans here says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, meaning we'd rather commit unrighteous acts instead of leaning into God and who he is, we'd rather do what we want in our, in our unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. So there is not a man, woman, or child on this earth that God hasn't revealed some type of his glory to them, according to Paul in the scriptures. God has revealed these things to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. We often talk about how does the, the man in the deepest part of the jungles know that there is a God unless somebody goes there and preaches the gospel? No, we always go there and preach the gospel, right? But the scriptures are telling us God has made himself known to mankind in so many different ways. That if, if anything, through the creation, if anything, through their own bodies and their own uh, being. He says then, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. There's our, kind of our thought for the day, did not glorify him. No were thankful, but became fruitful in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creepy things. The Bible says over and over again that God has made himself known to you and I. And his, his attributes are many. And uh, grace being one of them, right? We all, we all want to know about the grace of God or we'll, we're ready to see God's grace and his mercy. But on the other side of that coin is his wrath. That is an attribute of God. Hebrews 10 says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God has made himself known through the giving of his Son and the forgiveness of sin. We know this. The next time Jesus comes, he will come, what? In judgment. And the heart of every man, woman, and child will be judged based according to his perfect judgment. We talked about that this morning, that God knows everything. He knows every single thing about everybody. And when he comes back, he will will judge. And he will um, judge every man, woman, and child, some to everlasting judgment, everlasting judgment, some to everlasting life. God has revealed his uh, love for us through the giving of his son. We glorify God when we point others 
to God and his glory and the glory of his son, Jesus. So as we wrap up today, we said that the glory of God is, the make, is his making known of who he is to us. That's how his glory is shown. His glory emphasizes the greatness, the trend, his transcendence and his splendor and his holiness. For God to be transcendent means that he is superior, that he is matchless. Nothing compares to him. He transcends all our human thinking, yet he makes himself known to us and desires a relationship with us. That, for me, just personally, is his most glorious attribute. He desires to be in relationship with sinful man. Jesus, praying to the Father, said this in John 17, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. That God can be glorified in me, in you? Wow. Pretty amazing to me. I don't know about you. Jesus came so that we might have forgiveness. The shedding of his blood. Just so he could make things right with God in us. Question is this. Can you see God's glory? Can you see it? It's on full display. Everybody, he said it's there. I pray you don't suppress that glory, but actually taste and see that he is good. If you've not yet given your life to the matchless, the matchless one, I'm going to encourage you today to do so. He's the one that transcends all of our thinking. He's more than anything you and I could ever imagine to be. Yeah, he's revealed some things to us, but he's far, far more than that. And he wants to be in relationship with you and me. Each and every week I do this a little different, but I always want to make sure that if you're willing to humble yourself before a holy God and admit that you're a sinner and that you want repentance and you want to turn from that sin, he's willing to receive you. He wants you. He gave his son for you. If you're willing to make him Lord and Savior this day and you want to do that today, during our time we usually have together here of praying and kind of thinking about what, the, what we've learned this morning, I'm going to make an offer. Um, I'll come to you. You can come to me. And we can talk about what it means to give your life to Jesus. He wants you. All you have to do is submit. And in light of what we know about him, in light of what he has 
revealed of himself. He is worthy of all of our glory and all of our praise. So let's take a few minutes together and I'll come back and close this all for the morning. But if you like to receive Christ, uh, raise your hand, I'll come to you. Walk up here and we'll pray together. But until then, let's just kind of have some quiet time and talk to the Lord. Lord, I th thank you. We thank you this morning for making yourself known. You could be an obscure God that just is like what so much of the world thinks. You could be unloving and hateful and just upset with us for being sinners, but yet the opposite is true. You revealed yourself to us. You are known to us, and you desire that relationship with us, and for that we are thankful. For that, we are willing to give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise for who you are. As we go out this week, may this be a priority for us to tell others what we know about you and how awesome you are. Lord, help us through the Holy Spirit that we can uh, live the life that you called us to, to be holy as you are holy. Lord, you're worth it, everything, every bit of our glory. Just help us, Lord. We thank you, and we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys today. Just want to encourage you to live a glorious life, giving him the glory. So until we meet again, go out there and give glory to God. Thank you.